In our podcast today, we unpack the theme, Rise Rebooting the Art Sector. And we ask of our panelists some really hard-hitting questions on how to reboot the economy. We also reflect on the support structures that needs to be improved within the sector. Can the arts be self-determined, independent of government? Do artists need upskilling, changing their mindset and learning new things? And what opportunities exist within the industry? Joining me for our conversation is Professor Patika Ntuli, who is a South African sculptor, poet, writer and academic who spent 32 years of his life in exile in Swaziland in the UK. He holds an MFA from the Pratt Institute in New York and an MA in Comparative Industrial Relations and Industrial Sociology. While in exile in the UK, he taught at Camberwell College of Art, Central St. Martin's College of Art and Design, the London College of Printing, Middlesex University and the University of East London. Poitumela Tumi Motuazzo is the Head of Programs at Business and Art South Africa. Her current role includes strategic development and implementation of inclusive and impactful programs for creatives in South Africa. She holds a Master's in Cultural Policy and Management and Honours Degree in Dramatic Arts, both from the University of Witzwatersrand, where she majored in Applied Theatre Arts Management and Performance. Dr. Ishmael Muhammad is the director of the Center for Creative Arts at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. He is a multi-award winning cultural administrator with more than 35 years of experience and holding leadership positions in the arts, cultural and creative sectors. He was the former artistic director of the National Arts Festival, Makanda, and the former CEO of the Market Theatre Foundation and Boothle Ngaba, a multi-award winning South African actor, writer and theatre activist. She studied acting and contemporary performance at Rhodes University and processes of performance at the University of Leeds, UK. She was a member of Uborn Eastern Cape Drama Company and performed several productions at the National Arts Festival. You're listening to our Bassa Awards podcast in partnership with Hollard, hosted by me, Sam Marshall. The overarching theme is rebooting the art sector within South Africa. And maybe the question is, Prof, I'm not going to go through all those other questions because it's easy to talk about government's role. It's easy to, but let's provide a challenger statement and then unpack what the word rebooting means. Should the art sector, Prof, be rebooted or should it be deconstructed and rebuilt a new with a new understanding, with processes and policies, should we just completely destroy it? Shouldn't we just blow the whole thing up and just those that want to join the train, join the train. Those that don't, they're off the train and they'll, they'll continue with the status quo. I think that that's right. I think we just have to talk. You can't talk about the creative industries in South Africa uh, uh, with uh, boxing gloves. You have to take your gloves off they should be just direct idonacles. Uh, Let me take you back historically. The African National Congress in its charter said the doors of learning and culture shall be opened. And after having said that, when an opportunity came that these doors should actually be uh, opened, what did the African National Congress do? They took the arts and culture, science and technology and gave it 
uh, you know, to the IFP to uh, to be the people to you know, to guide when it should have been, in a sense, a very central uh, point on which it is. Because without culture, without the uh, creative industries, you cannot actually even dream of a, 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 of nation building. Now. For me, I would go along with an idea that we have got to dismantle the whole of the structure and start it right from the beginning. But the other option, uh, which uh, 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 Dr. Mohammed had raised, was about having thinking people around. That one is very interesting because four days ago, I had a visit from the Minister of Arts and Culture, who openly said to me, listen, we need really seriously to rethink uh, you know, these things. And you know what my, my statement was uh, about uh, you know, him all along. So I did mean to say that they might be thinking about that, but we have got to dismantle these things. Earlier on, the Mike Van Hrams and the other people there were speaking about bringing up a minister that is not linked to a party. Uh, but just an independent uh, 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 minister that is not going to be towing the line. But for me, the most fundamental thing having dealt with these departments is that the deployment policy is just absolutely right as a bad boy of it. You just send people over to the arts and culture who have got absolutely no clear understanding what art is. They can't tell the difference between a monument, a statue, a sculpture, a, 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 some are good, you know, some are actually a, 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 you know, bad. We have got to restructure the whole thing, get people into these positions. How many unemployed graduates in the arts are around in there. And we are only going to get political uh, you know, you know, people, the yes men. They end up as DGs, as, as chief directors, and all of these things, where they have no clue uh, about what uh, you know, it is. Going a little bit back again, 600 years ago, we're talking about Basa, it's business. If uh, even Basa itself can learn uh, from Lorenzo de Medici uh, in Italy, a banker, who got in philosophers, poets, writers, and everybody, and put them in there in order to lay a point for the future. 600 years right now, we go over to Italy, we go to the Sistine Chapel, we go to see you know, David, because the business sector had at least a vision you know, to see it. But when we come to our business sector, they're all part and parcel of the secret white monopoly you know, groups that had given them all of those monies. How can they therefore, in, a, in any sense, perfectly understand what we are doing? But having said that, I'm very pleased that after the global awards, at least cabinet and the national assembly it did send a message to me to say thank you very much. And I had conversations with those people. Some of them were honest who began to say, we didn't kind of quite understand the role of the creative industries, the, the, the manner in which it was actually put there. So in other words, we need to train. We need to fire all of those people that have been deployed. <laughs> Everyone there. Yeah, thanks, bro. So I see, Can I just I see say, that. I'm yes. so sorry to disrupt, but there's an expression that we use, and it's called, it's when we go, I'm screaming. And, Prof, listen, I was screaming the entire time you were speaking there. 
Yes, yes, yes. That's <laughs> all. Yes. And just to say, um, I think that that's what's of value. And that's what I meant about being able to reflect, you know, because stories like that for me have a real place um, with us, particularly as the people who are going to have to continue forward and then dream up whatever it is that we're going to be able to pass on. But for me to hear something like that um, about, okay, in Italy, this and this happens and then this happens, those are direct results that I can see that I'm aligned with and that we all know to be true. So if we could share that, that's knowledge to me that we can actually do something with. Valuable can I add something, I please, just quickly? Yes. When I was in London, I said exile. I was part of the Greater London Arts. We persuaded government that whatever government building that they are going to build, a certain percentage of the money must be put aside for, for, for murals, for art, for, for, for creative things. And they listened. All of the people I was with today, the, the Shoni Paris, the Shaheen Munaris, the Sonia Poises, the, the, the Lubenia Himids, and the rest of them, they've all now got uh, their own titles from the, uh, the from Buckingham Palace. And some of them have become say, so and so CBLs because they've actually been uh, you know, recognized. And you come actually over to us, what are we uh, uh, doing? Absolutely nothing. Let me bring Dr. Mohammed in here. Both comments from Prof and Butle is quite interesting. Butle talking about the value of storytelling and Prof saying that in actual fact, he had a visit by the minister a couple of days ago. And I want to know, doctor, this theme is rebooting. If you had a magic wand tomorrow, Prof was talking about we need to get rid of these incompetent deployments. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a deployment provided it's, com mm, it's, mm, it's mm. incompetent provided it understands the role he or she has to play. Mm -hmm. But let's say that the Minister of Arts is open to change, that he realizes that he's in actual fact in a position to empower what would need to happen in order for an art sector to either, as Prof was saying, we take the gloves off and it's bare knuckle, or we dismantle this thing because whatever happens, we're going to need an industry that is in strong, whether it's six months from now, a year from now, because eventually we will come out of this pandemic. Sure. I, I'm not in support of anything that throws the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, you know, I believe that we, we need to take what we have. We need to punch it into order and reshape it. Uh, I also don't believe that a removal of a minister uh, will change the situation for us. The fact that Natim Tetwa is uh, aloof, is disconnected from the center, has no vision uh, and provides no leadership is half the problem. Uh, the, the problem didn't start with him and it started a long time ago. We've had four administrations of ministers that have provided weak direction for the art sector. You know, earlier Boothley spoke about uh, art is labor. And for me, the answer rests in that, that the art contributes to a significant amount of our GDP. It contributes to a spinner economy uh, that is vast. And until we begin to think of the arts as central to our economy uh, and move it away from that discussion that art is only about social cohesion, which the department has been driving for, uh, for, for, for youngs, 
Every department's responsibility is about social cohesion. Every citizen's responsibility is about social cohesion. But the role of every government department is to build an economy that keeps the nation uh, thriving and prosperous. And our department has not thought of the art sector in economic terms. That is, what do we contribute to the economy? Uh, what, how can we continue to grow and strengthen the economy? But I think what is going to be so very, very necessary at this particular point, and which again comes out from what Bushley is saying, is that there's going to be a need for reskilling. And I think arts organizations, particularly those that are involved in the funding sector, this is something that Tumi has raised, uh, is that we have to move away from just providing grants to do productions. We need to begin to say how much of our grant funding is going to go towards reskilling artists and to provide them with the skills to survive in an economy that is constantly changing and constantly challenged. Uh, so that there has to be a constant upskilling of artists that's taking place. But we need to be very, very critical that we cannot continue producing graduates for uh, a sector that is unable to absorb them. That there has to be, at some point, we have to begin to talk about how do we begin to regulate the art sector. And regulating the art sector has got nothing, absolutely nothing to do with censorship uh, and so forth. It means you're creating systems and an infrastructure that allows artists to operate like any other uh, functioning person in our in, in our country who can play a part in the economy, who knows what their tax contributions are, who knows what rights they enjoy as, 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 as employees in that particular sector and so forth. Uh, we cannot continue having a situation where anyone who fails in any other sector wakes up and decides to throw three lines together and claim I'm an artist. <laughs> Uh, or decides to put three brush strokes together and claim in, I'm an artist. You're a recreational artist, you're not a professional artist. A professional so, artist is somebody who acquires certain sets of skills, who studies, who qualifies, who upskills himself constantly, and who earns the major part of his income from this particular sector, but who also participates within the systems in the sector, whether that is in the alliances, in unions, in professional organizations, and all of that. But doctor, follow-up question I want to ask. Where we are currently in the environment, and I'm not just talking about the arts industry, I'm talking about where we are as a society and how we interact with technology and how we interact with ourselves. We've gone through various iterations of movements. Hmm. Here's my question. Are we not, and I'll ask in the South African context, but I, I, I'm sure both, everyone in this panel has a global perspective. Are we ready to go where you are talking about some kind of regulatory process for the industry, number one. And number two, are we, are we flexible enough to go to where you're saying, I can't be a guy who's just putting two, three lines on a page or somebody who puts two brushstrokes on a, on a canvas and all of a sudden they're an artist and they're a recreational artist. Is the industry, number one, ready for that? And is the industry ready for the backlash that that would potentially bring considering that business and those people that end up loving art are not necessarily artists. Hmm. Well, you know, the, the arts, the business sector is incredibly dependent on the art sector, uh, more than we actually give the art sector credit for. No boardroom can function effectively without creative thinking. And we're seeing more and more business uh, 
uh, corporate organizations beginning to de depend on, on, on the creative sector to help them find creative solutions uh, to, 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 to the way they make business. Uh, you know, whether you take marketing, which is entirely dependent on creativity, or whether you take, uh, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, we, we need to do, uh, what do they call these things, where human resource training, where we need to rebuild our relationships, you bring in role play acting in there. So the arts is always integrated part of business. We see more and more businesses depending on uh, artists to begin to design their four years. Uh, a simple Example, Nando's, which is incredibly creative with every bit of the advertising. It's probably one of the smartest corporates in our, in a, in a, in our country that, that uses art all the time. So uh, it's not as if business is not engaging the artists or business sees the arts as a threat. Business is incredibly dependent on the arts and creativity for its own survival. The challenge is how do we as arts people learn to begin to put a price and a value to what we are doing? And I think for a very, very long time, artists have underpaid, underpriced themselves, but we've also failed as artists in the post-1994 dispensation because our constitution has, has guaranteed us freedom of expression and freedom of creativity. But what we've done as arts people in a post-1994 dispensation is that we have incredibly self-censored ourselves through political correctness. We have not held government accountable when it has failed because we thought if we criticize government, I will not get my grant. And we, what, what, what has happened in, in, this, in this last few, few months, particularly with the movement led by uh, the operative Sibongilem Goma and the Abakhlari Bas in, uh, uh, NAC, where they, where they set in at the offices of the NAC, is to give artists the agency to protest for their own cause. Because what we've done as arts people, we've protested and we've made our voices heard in the debates around HIV AIDS, around gender violence, around climate, around everything else, but about our own plight. We have not protested enough about our own plight. It's about time that we make our voices heard about our agency for ourselves, for our livelihoods in our, in, 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 in our country. I see uh, Prof wants to just add something. To me, I'm going to come to you and Butle. Just a quick question, Prof, before I come to you, and just a quick response from you, Doctor. Do you think as part of rebooting the, the art sector that we need to do more protest action? Peaceful, of course. All protest action must be peaceful, and protest action is guaranteed to us in, in our constitution. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not something that is uh, unconstitutional or problematic. Uh, as, as arts people, the nature of our work is based on protest. South African theater has been built on the, on the protest movement. Uh, you know, the market theater was founded on the values of protest. So I can't see why we're saying that in a post-1994 uh, uh, environment that, you know, in order to build social cohesion, we should not be protesting. Our voices should be so much more louder now. Uh, more than ever before, and it should be incredibly louder against those leaders who have failed and betrayed our young people. Uh, yeah, Bravo. I think I agree. I mean, generations of young people have been betrayed. I agree totally with you, uh, Ishmael. One, removing a minister is not going to solve anything. Yeah. Removing the bureaucrats in the end, putting a new ones might actually even improve uh, the, the, the situation.
Again, back, again, back actually in exile, a, a process of coming up with arch for offices, right? A arch for offices, for government offices and all. That's where, again, you could reboot, you know, the artist by getting artworks for all of the offices. Murals in government, you know, buildings will be there. Just like, uh, you know, Mexico Revolution had with Oresco, Sequerias, and all of those murals that people travel, you, you know, to go and, uh, and move and, and do. I remember I was in the, the, art, uh, the Department of Arts and Culture uh, the thing at some time when an argument came, a very efficient person who I won't mention was there, who was helpful in setting up uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Africa, uh, Africa month, the issue of legends and so on, until of course the, uh, the employees uh, who are winning a very good uh, 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 you know, project, started squandering uh, you know, those humanists. Uh, 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 I'm also even aware how at some stage the minister was prevented from appointing somebody else by the bureaucrats who would have actually done you know, something. That's why a few days ago, I just tweeted the issue of the bureaucrats that uh, no one says anything about them. No one attacks them. No one criticizes them. They just go ahead with, uh, with, with impunity. You deploy somebody who belongs to a different faction. They let you as a minister also to fail. So that's why the whole of the thing has got to be thoroughly restructured, rethought, reevaluated, reimagined. But as South Africans, we're difficult. We, we can't even reimagine. When we made our universities with golden opportunities to reimagine uh, universities in an African context where it would have addressed those issues that we are, instead we came with the Oxbridge uh, uh, in a mentality that had been implanted into us. Coloniality rules us. Let me bring you into this conversation and get your perspective because I, I, I actually love both the comments from um, Doc and Prof. And I see Boothley also put a comment at the bottom. So did you. But just your reaction in terms of how and where I'm rebooting this arts industry. And then the, the idea of protest action as a form or as one of the spokes in the wheel to say enough is enough. Mm. One of the questions that I think in the prep um, that you had asked was, are artists waiting and what are they waiting for? And I think my response to that is that artists have never waited. You know, artists have constantly been adapting, recreating, being resilient, all these beautiful words. But currently artists are waiting for accountability and responsibility and innovation. And in the waiting, they are also still building. Um, and so as you guys, was, as uh, Prof and, and Dr. Muhammad were speaking, I was thinking, about um, this idea of shared leadership, right? A shared approach to, to leading and holding this type of sector. This is a very complex and nuanced sector. And the pace at which it's rapidly growing um, requires innovation at a very high pace. So one individual might not be able to hold for all of us. In fact, there are multiple people who might contribute to that leadership to ensure that we are responding to the now, correcting the past, but also thinking quite um, intentionally about where we want to go in the future. 
And for me, the shared leadership needs to include, you know, the young and the old, the um, 2000s and, um, you know, apartheid uh, veterans. It needs to include music. It needs to include uh, theater and dance, a multitude and a diversity of individuals and expertise um, so that we can make sure that it's responsive um, to a diverse range of, 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 of complexities. I also think that in thinking about upskilling, right, um, we speak about creating platforms that allow or that you know, um, assist artists. Artists are ex experts of their own lived experiences. They are gaining these skills as they create on a daily. What we need to create is just spaces where, you know, we cultivate agency, we cultivate confidence, we cultivate independence. Because when you have independence, you have currency. You have autonomy. You can challenge that organization because you're not dependent on that organization to survive. So what is inspiring and very exciting is that there is a, a group or, a, you know, a collective of creators who, who actually are not even part of this conversation around the NAC funding, the BASA funding, the relief funding, but they're going, where else? How else? Who else? Right? And yes, they need to be supported. Yes, they need to be uh, policies that enable and allow them to be able to thrive in that way. But I think that we're tired of waiting. We're tired of waiting for somebody else to create that 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 hook. Because once you once I'm hooked to you, I'm dependent on you, right? And what is interesting about the kind of programs we are creating now is to say. What skills do you need to be able to drive your own learning, to drive your own development, to create the, 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 the future that you want? What, what networks are you building for yourself that will give you that confidence, that will build, help you rebuild your, your capacity and your competency to be able to go and do what you want to do? Because once you have that autonomy and that independence, you're able to critique, you're able to challenge, you're actually able to thrive outside of it and even inform some of those uh, policies because you understand what it takes to free yourself from them. So I think we really need to be very um, tough on ourselves. I think we've been very lenient. We've been very lazy. We knew something was going to happen. Oh, there was going to be a digital. And we took our time. Now it's urgent, right? It's urgent for us to think about transformation. It's urgent for us to think about innovation. And it's very, very urgent for us to be able to, uh, to be independent and be able to speak back to the things that are not working, to let go of what we have been precious about and to really demand, uh, like a professor, uh, sorry, like Dr. Mohammed spoke about, you know, just values. Is protest a value? Is that one of the values we want to hold dear? How are we showing up? How are we holding on to it? What other values do we need to include? Curiosity, competency, authenticity, agility, adaptation. There's so many more. And I think we can't follow a one size fits all. You as an individual, you as a creative need to decide what that means for you and how you are going to contribute to the collective experience. I had a uh, an interview with a lady in the UK recently, and she spoke about the soul. What is this? What is our current? What is the consciousness and the soul that we are building now? How is that going to help us move forward? And where are we trying to move forward to? Is it a is it a, a homogenous um, you know picture that we all like? No, it's nuanced. It's diverse. It's different. It's eclectic. Because as creatives, as artists. We grow, we change, we are all these beautiful things. It cannot be a linear, simple, vanilla process. It needs to be more dynamic than that. I just want to say this, um, Prof. We are running out of time. So I'm going to ask you just to keep your responses quite short. Prof, if you just hold on one sec for me. I just want to do a follow-up with Tumi. Hmm. Tumi, 
obviously, in the context of rebooting the um, arts industry, both you and Doctor are big proponents of saying you've almost got to be independent of government. Um, you've almost got to, if you don't build the individual brand or if you don't learn your independence, you're going to struggle. But not everybody has that resource or has that community or mentorship or mm. people are going to get lost along the way. How do we, and to your point, you were saying that we need a, the apartheid stalwarts and we need these young generations, we need the, the boomers and the Xs and the millennials and the Gen Zers to all sit around the table, but they don't all agree. They don't all agree on how to reboot the economy or, or is that a misnomer? Am I, am I talking nonsense? I think we've been trying to agree for the long, longest time and we will never agree. And that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing that we don't always agree. It's a good thing that there's interrogation and flipping things on their heads. It is a bad thing that there are certain people who will be left behind. And that's our job as institutions like Abasa, like institutions of higher, that is our mandate. Our job is to make sure that we, we reach out to those people so that they know that they can, so that they know that they have that agency. And that is our job. And I'm very, very passionate about that job. But what I'm, what I'm trying to advocate for for is, is a space where even when that individual who had been left out tells me as head of programs, what well, your program is not relevant to me, I can sit back, I can keep quiet and I can listen and I can co-create with that person um, to think about, okay, if there are 10, like, I mean, there was one um, individual in one of our, uh, one of our um, sessions with our participants in Limpopo, they were saying, well, there's no point in me building a, a business venture or setting up an organization if my community does not see value in the thing that I'm doing, in the art itself. So I think then, you know, a, our job then becomes about the holistic story of the holistic brand of the sector and how we are, how we are um, sharing that and publicizing that. But it's also about making sure that that individual who's seen that gap comes up with their own solutions because they understand their context, they understand their community. Um, and what I want to also say and stress is that the, 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 the dialogue, mm, that can hold us back because there's work that is being done as you discuss, just like the cultural, but when I left varsity, I, I mean, I knew about the white paper, but I was like, what is happening in reality and what is being spoken about here is two different things because as you create, who is archiving that? Who is writing about that experience? And where are we sharing that? Because if I'm going to be sharing the white paper with my daughter in 10 years time, she's going to be like, is that, is that what you guys were doing in 2021? That is not what we are doing in 2021. TikTok is blooming in 2021. Netflix is blooming in 2021. The question yeah. is who's archiving that experience and where are we sharing that uh, the nuances and the new emerging trends about our sector? I feel like I've left booth out of this conversation. I want to include it. Let me prove quickly, quickly add your, your... Quickly, quickly. 33 years, 33 years of my life, I've been up abroad outside of this country, moving from village to village, asking the people to tell their government to stop supporting South Africa. So we have to come with a cultural revolution in South Africa, get our kumbis, go to the rural areas and, and, and recite our poetry, show our own things and, and liberate the country afresh. Thank you. 
Sam, can, can I just say before you hand over the final word to Bushra, because I think it needs to be ended off, the final, the final word should go to somebody that's young, uh, uh, you know, the next generation rather than us old toppies. Uh, but, but I just want to say, you know, the, the past year and a half for me with, with COVID-19, as problematic as it's been, has been quite an inspiring year. At the Centre for the Creative Arts, we've been able to, in the midst of a crisis and in the midst of absence of new funding, we've been able to give birth to three new festivals. My sanity over this past year has been in that I surround myself and I work in an environment with everyone that is half my age. And that has been what, what, what Toomey has been talking about, shared leadership. Because what I bring to the work experience is institutional memory, is critical reflection, is experience. I cannot bring envisioning in as energetic a way as a younger person does, and in a relevant way as a young person does, and in a connected way as a young person does. Just when I'm getting off Facebook, I learn there's Instagram. Just when I get used to Instagram, I go, oh my God, there's TikTok. Uh, young people are, are, are steps ahead of us uh, in terms of creativity, in terms of innovation, in terms of leadership, and in terms of survival. And in, in driving our organizations to success, we need to find in our boardrooms uh, that combined leadership between those of us who bring years of experience and, and, and reflective and historical and institutional memory, along with new energy that brings new direction, new vision, uh, and, and just not the rebooting, but the kick and the boot up our asses to make us work. Ruthle, I want to bring you in. You, um, you've heard some passionate um, advocating for what this new art sector should look like. I mean, you did something interesting. You created mask pins uh, as gifts, right, along your online shows. To everybody's point, how innovative should we be now? Or should we just treat this, this industry as a new opportunity for everybody? I think that we have to be as imaginative as we can be. There is no limitation to that. I think that that's exactly the space that we need to be in. But I think that we also need to be creating the structures that can hold that and that can allow for even more imagining to be able to happen. Um, it's all good and well for us to be imagining, 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 but to not be doing anything about it um, feels like a great tragedy to me. Um, and I think that I would... Um, Thank you so much, everybody, for all of these incredible thoughts and the sharing. I certainly have so much to reflect on, but I think that I would implore all of us who are, if you consider yourself young in any way, if you consider yourself youth, if that triggers something in you, um, you still have a job, regardless of whether that's at 92 or at 12 years old. I think that um, if you start to feel that trigger, that's something that we need to start really listening to and nurturing. Um, because I think what I've really started to reflect on and to really understand is we have an endless journey, journey of learning ahead of us. And I think that as soon as we as young people get to accepting that and really going with that and getting excited about that, as opposed to exhausted by the idea of the future, because that's what it is if you're unwilling to do the work. 
you're not excited about the future, then you're not creating it. Um, I think that an unwillingness to do that really, really, really just continues to leave us as a continent far, far behind, which is a great pity because we all know that our talent is far beyond. Um, I think that something that I'm starting to really see and that I've learned from my elders is that hunger for education and for knowledge and for skill and to learn more. We don't get to just pack it up and step onto stage. We don't get to just pack it up and then step onto set and then you're a film star. It doesn't work that way. At this stage, we need to learn. I'm not saying that you can't do that thing. I I am not having the funnest time, let me put it that way, managing a company, um, teaching, but making sure that that happens because in the same way that um, Dr. Mohammed just spoke about, you know, having an office full of people half his age. I also work with university students. I work with early childhood development kids too, and they keep me fresh. And I understand um, at some point I'm going to have to let that go too. And I think that learning that, but knowing that we have to learn is so important. We're not going to be able to just move forward without not knowledge, um, which is why I also think that what we just spoke about, about this narrative of this person is going to step in and save the arts. This person has to step out and then suddenly it's going to mean all of the money is going to be free and we're going to understand this and this and that. That's not what's going to happen. We are the ones who are going to do it. Can I do a follow-up question quickly and, I, and I'll use this as my roundup because we, we've heard uh, the least from you, Butle. I just want to uh, ask you, there's something interesting that Dr. Mohammed mentioned, um, and it started with um, with Tumi talking about the new technologies like TikTok, and even in Dr. Mohammed's um, case, um, even in your case, you talked about taking Shakespeare online. How does technology help and potentially destroy? the industry because it can become easier just to do everything online and then forget that the art there's an actual art form to being on stage and creating that experience because I, i'm sorry i've watched a ton of stuff online and i struggle to relate to some of it because i know had i been sitting at the market theater the experience would have been completely different mm -hmm. so how do we use technology to the betterment if that was one of the things we could use tomorrow to reboot the industry and put everybody on a living, uh, level playing field. That's great. But how do we make sure it doesn't destroy the industry at the same time? I think that we've already had this discussion, the art of connection and the art of skill. You have to be able to do it. You, you've got to have the skills. Um, and I really loved, you know, when a little bit earlier in the conversation, when we were defining what an artist is, right? So... The reason that I bring this up is just because, for example, I don't understand TikTok. I don't know how to use TikTok. I would love to be able to learn how to use TikTok, though, efficiently, because I have seen how many kids and how many comedians even, because they have learned the skill of TikTok, but in combination with their communication skill, with their audience that they have grown online, which just because I haven't been able to do it, it doesn't mean that I can hate on it. Um, I was just referring to the art of connection and what that means. So, for example, I've just had to expand my idea of what connecting actually means, but also not losing sight of what that means to me in real life. Because isn't that the reason why we do all of this, regardless of whether you're painting a mural, music, 
um, theater, film, you're looking to make a connection. I've really had to open myself up to that idea and to go, okay, so a 16 year old kid has found a way to connect via TikTok with people in Berlin, in France, in Scotland, in Limpopo. And the power in that is something that I don't deny. Instead, I go, okay, as a facilitator, can you guys teach me how to do this thing? And then I use it there and I use that opportunity for them to teach me. And then what's incredible is in two weeks time, when I'm teaching Romeo and Juliet, whatever it may be, I get to go to my second year students. Okay, cool. Take me to TikTok because now we're in lockdown number 446553. I don't know what's going to happen. And I want you to use that skill that you guys are using anyway in this way. It's crazy because then what I'm basically doing is I'm triggering a movement of interest in Romeo and Juliet again. Because whether they like it or not, people on TikTok are then going to see an interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. The same applies to music. The same applies to I'm talking about the process of making. I think that rather than seeing it as, um, I, I, I definitely, it's painful. It's been a difficult adjustment because I love the stage. I loved, that's how I also grew up. You know, I love to connect as a people. That's what we do, right? Um, but I've really had to start to just go, I don't have a choice. I'm going to have to see it as an as an advantage, but also, I'm doing this to build an audience to get them back into the theater. That's what I understand also. Um, for example, I have a one woman show. I started writing it at the Royal Shakespeare Company after I won the Brett Golden Bursary six years ago. I said, if I win the bursary, I will teach what I have learned at the RAC at home. I was really pleasantly surprised. I don't know why, because I've been there for the last five years. But when I reflected earlier this year that, man, I've been teaching this for five years. I did good on what I promised and even more so. But as a result of that, I mean, that show then became virtual, was what premiered um, at the Virtual National Arts Festival and became one of the most watched shows. This was a show that I was struggling to find development funding for because I kept going as an artist. I know you guys are content and you feel like it's good, but I can see how it could be even better. And it was, and that's the part that's difficult often as an artist, I yeah. find getting the support of people who are willing to go, yes, she wants to grow. There's more, there's more. I just wanted to give everybody else 30 seconds um, to react to. We've talked about Dr. Ishmael, um, we talked about um, shared leadership, we talked about innovation, we talked about how restructuring leadership or blowing things up necessarily, there are pros and cons to it, rebooting. But if within 30 seconds, if you had the magic wand, and one of the important things I think that Prof was talking about is that the right thinkers and leaders are not part of the decision-making structures. How do we get, and, and unfortunately, it is directed at the Minister of Arts and Culture because he does sit as the head of the industry and can make those changes because he does have the gravitas by virtue of that position. How do we get him to understand all the points around shared leadership, the use of technology, uh, how grant funding is happening at the moment, and how we actually reboot the industry so that it is reflective of where it needs to be, what needs to happen immediately. One sentence, Sam. One, two, three, four, five people uh, uh, you know, in here. I can make a, an appointment that we all meet with the minister. Right? <laughs> See you there. 
<laughs> there we go. Prof Patika has, put, has thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. Dr. Mohammed, in 30 seconds, what? So Prof Patika's solution is a, a, a meeting with the minister. Dr. Ishmael. Use the coming local government elections to vote with our feet. Uh, if we get it right at local government level to get the arts work, we'll get it right at provincial and national government level as well. To me. Action to our words. Doing the thing that we say, like challenging the very thing that we are not happy with, revising our values and sticking to that through and through. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Um, this is so engaging and to, to your point that this is going to be a podcast, but if Prof, if you set up that meeting, yeah. Doctor, and he's definitely going to, to me and Budle, it should make for a riveting conversation in terms of what the next next points of action are. And as you said, Prof, he is open to, to major change at the moment, right? Yes, he's open to ever change. But Sam... I know, despite the first thing, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. You've really, uh, you know, made uh, 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 you know, my life. I also would like to say to you, Bushe, I was a Shakespearean actor uh, myself, and I'm going to give you an example. Steve Biko. Friends, Africans, lend me your ears. I come to protest against Steve Biko's death, but not to praise him. The evils that men do this after them, the good is often shared with their bones. So let it not be with Biko. For the noble Fervuta told you Biko was ambitious, and if it was so, it was a grievous fault, and grievous as Biko answered it. Here under Limbo Foster and the rest, for Foster is an honorable man. So are they all, all honorable men. I speak not to disprove what Foster had said. I speak what I do know. I speak what I do know. What else was all for you to protest against his death or judgment? Thou hast fled to the Ferbutis beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffee there with Miko, and I will not pause until he comes back to me. Oh, pardon me, thou bleeding piece of earth, that I'm meek and gentle with these butchers. Thou art the reason of the noblest men that ever lived in the tides of time. Who to the hand that shed this costly blood over thy wounds now do I prophesy, which hope like ruby leaves to beg the voice and utterance of my tongue. A curse shall lie upon the limbs of men. Fierce strife shall cover all parts of Azania. Blood and destruction shall be so in use and dreadful objects so familiar that mothers but smile when they behold the infants conquered by hands of war. Thank you. Hey! Yeah, 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 standing ovation. Standing ovation. I wouldn't Privilege. have achieved it. I'm so glad I got this Thank on you. video. Thank you, guys.